Hello everybody, welcome to episode 114 of State of the Game, the golf podcast that talks about stuff that matters. Rod Murray's my name, and what matters on this episode will become clear as we go along, which is code for, we have no agenda today, we're just going to wing it. So who do I mean when I say we? Well, there's your old favourites in Jeff Shackleford and Mike Clayton, but also today, a very slightly Scottish flavour when we're joined by the former rock star turned media baron and quite possibly soon to be manager of one of the game's fastest rising stars, I speak, of course, of Lawrence Donigan, the McKellar Magazine co-founder, will be along in just a moment. But first, it's our regular co-host, author, analyst, critic, blogger, now substacker, if that's a word, Jeff Shackelford, coming to us from the left coast of America. Jeff, quick turnaround for us, just two weeks since our last episode. I know, incredible. But I'm, I'm more struck by the incredible introduction of, of Lawrence Media Baron. You did that on short notice. That was really tremendous. <laughs> Indeed. From the confines of what has to be one of Australia's most pleasant lockdown spots, if such a thing exists, it's former tour player, now architect and commentator on the game, Mike Clayton. Clayton, is a nice lockdown spot kind of like saying a good bogey? There really isn't any such thing. We all kind of know what we mean. <laughs> well, the only thing I've got is... There's a beautiful beach within five kilometres that I can go to and hit golf balls. Otherwise, like everyone else in Melbourne, I wouldn't be playing golf at all. But anyway. A gilded can, cage is still a cage, I can, I, can, I can hit balls on the beach, which is... But the courses are all still closed? closed. Courses are all shut. No golf. Are they maintaining? Yep. No? Yeah, they're maintaining them, yep. So, so people it's can a, go to work for maintenance. It's a perfect chance that my club is going to miss to take out trees while there are no members around. Yeah. <laughs> that, that line will come as a complete shock to anybody who's ever yeah. heard talk before. But you're absolutely right, Clayton. Every crisis is, in fact, an opportunity, isn't it? And COVID has been that as well. Let's move on. Today's guest, who I imagine is still floating on a cloud of pride, and we won't overdo it, but his son, Niall, made it all the way to the quarterfinals of the Boys' Amateur Championship at Royal Sinkport. That is Quarter- ex- oh, quarterfinals. Oh, come on. What did I say? Semifinals. Semis. Sorry, my mistake. Uh, all the way to the semi-finals. I can edit that out. That's perfect. You guys make a mistake. No, I no, leave it no, in. No. I make a mistake. I take it out. Semi-finals, my apologies, of the Boys Amateur Championships at Royal Singport, which exceeds by some considerable margin any of his own achievements on the course. Lawrence, welcome. No. Well, I made the match play at the uh, 2003 San Francisco City Championship. Shot 74 off the back at Harding Park. Then followed up with a sporty 76 at the 5,700-yard Lincoln Park, but that's about it. Knocked out in the first round. <laughs> Better than anything I've ever done. I won the second round of the match play at B-grade match play at Mangrove Mountain once. Uh, on that, Lawrence, you've climbed into the world of elite amateur golf there. On a serious note, you've been on the outside throwing mud in for all these years. How does it look from <laughs> that's true. the inside? Because junior golf at the elite level in 2021 is a very different animal to what junior golf at the elite level probably was 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, yeah, it really is. It was, uh, oh God, so many observations. We were in, we traveled to the UK. We were there for, oh God, over two months, uh, c- accumulating in the, uh, the British boys at, uh, Royal Sinkports. Uh, firstly, uh, what a tournament. What a, the RNA, it must have cost the RNA an absolute fortune. It was, uh, I mean, I've been around a lot of junior golf tournaments over the years. It was a brilliantly, brilliantly run, uh, uh, golf course was phenomenal. I mean, they made the kids feel so special. I think there was 156 kids at the start. Uh, it was, so there is that. So kudos to the RNA who put, clearly put a lot of money into it. Actually, they put a lot of money, a lot of money into everything that appears in, in, in golf over there. Um, so there was that. As to the golf, well, I, I see that the kid who won it, who was a deserved winner, a kid called Jack Bingham, Bingham, 
And uh, he got picked for the England senior home internationals this week. So he's playing with Walker Cup players this week. And that kid, I think he's 17, 18 years old. Um, he reminded, reminded me very much of a Lee Westwood, a kind of Lee Westwood kind of figure. Phenomenal player. Uh, Niall, uh, <laughs> Niall did pretty well. Uh, but he lost to a kid in the semi-final, this Italian kid called Ricardo Fantelli, I think. Uh, what a player he looked. Uh, just, just brilliant. As you say, Rod, the, the standard of play is is ridiculous. Sink, Sinkports was, well, it, they stretched out. I was shocked when we t- turned up at the start of the weekend. The, the yardage was on the card for 7,200 yards. And we walked around. Now, we walked around with a practice round and the rough was up. They can't cut the rough between, I think it's March and September for um, some sort of environmental reasons. Uh, so that is a, that was an extremely hard golf course. Uh but, you know, I think the, the, the Jack Bigham, the, the medalist, was eight under par for 36 holes. It's just astonishing. Absolutely astonishing. Uh, and it goes, you, you know, Niall snuck in, uh, you know, he was the 63rd seed. But, you know, a lot of kids were playing those 36 holes, you know, and two, three over at work. I mean, it was, it was, it's just brilliant. Uh, so, yeah, so, so you're, you are right. The standard of uh, junior golf, as you would expect, was magnificent. It's the same over here, to be honest. Uh, some of the kids that I, I've seen over here are just frighteningly good. Uh, the only thing is, I would say my caveat to all of this is that uh, Stacey Lewis, who I absolutely love, she said it best. Nobody needs to be the best when they're 14 or 15 years old. That's the only thing. But, I, I, you know, you'll knock yourself out if you want to be a, you know, the world's best junior golfer at the age of 16, 17. Clyde, you're the only elite player among us, really. How does this sound compared to your junior days of golf? What Niles descri- uh, what uh, Lawrence is describing there. Well, my observation is the techniques are much better because we didn't have any idea what we were doing because we never saw our swing, so we just tried to copy Jack Nicholas or Tom Weisskopf. So the, uh, the techniques are better. I guess the clubs are easier to hit, so they, they're more impressive, ball strikers, because the clubs make it easier to be more impressive, ball strikers. But um, there are some tremendous kids. Obviously, there are some tremendous kids around, but there always were. I mean, you know, I'm sure Nick Price and Seve and... Greg Norman were pretty impressive junior players at 18 years old. But oh, Peter Senior, you always talk about him. Peter Senior, yeah. Peter Senior was amazing. At 13, he was incredible. Didn't Jordan Spieth shoot 63 at the age of 12 or 13, if I'm not mistaken, was one of the things he did? And, and, and finished fourth in a, in a PG Tour. 16, yeah, yeah, absolutely incredible. Jeff, all of that's true, what Clates points to there, and you'd expect that it would be. Is it not basically what they know more of these days? Is information. Everyone's better informed. Coaches, players at an earlier age. I think so, and I think the way, I mean, obviously people can misuse the information, so it's that people are using it better and good instructors with a good track man. You know, I always laugh when they talk about how they work harder and harder. The players should not be working harder. They shouldn't be hitting balls into the dark. Now, when you have track man and you have the information that they have, it should actually make you more efficient. So I realize it's a good narrative to, to make it sound like they've they've never worked harder. And, and we just have, we deal with that and everything with, Everything has – millennials have to uh, – if it's if they're not living in a moment where something is being done greater than ever before, they uh, apparently aren't interested. At least that's how marketing people think. So that's why we get all that greatest ever. But I, parents have always been neurotic. Lawrence, what, what, compare the, the, the parents following – and I realize you're biased because you're one of them, but the parents and the, the, the team scene – around players over there versus here. Is there a difference or are they just I, as nuts there? 
Yeah, uh, no, uh, in, in the UK. Well, I, I should. Pre- I mean, I should put my hand up here. I was, I was, I was told off for oh, being too oh. close. <laughs> no, no, never. My, what, I've never gone to junior golf tournaments. I've always driven to the car park, dumped them off, and mm. gone away. Come back at the end, picked them up. Over there, it's in t- you know, you pitch up at Royal Sinkports. Uh, you need a ball spotter, <laughs> right? So. Yeah. Anyway, so I'll just say that I, I got one to, told off once, and that was me. I was, you know, you know, whatever. But I, I was super impressed. Oh, what did you, you do? To, like let out a big uh, uh, whoop uh, uh, after what, the no, kid missed actually, a putt or something? No, no, it was. Uh, oh, come on, get your chin up, something like that. I mean, who knows? I mean, who knows? Too close, it really. <laughs> and it's super impressive. Uh, the parents over there are literally 150 yards away. It's you know, you're 200 yards up the fairway. Uh, and I noticed you talking about the kids at about the swings and all that. It was uh, the equipment as well. There was a lot of bags full of blades on that tour at the British Boys. The other thing was that the kids were on the range. There was no parents. Big difference, uh, you know, over there. I guess it's at that kind of level. What's the point of me standing there telling Niall how to swing a golf club? It's just it's hilarious. So there is that. But I, I was super impressed. Over here, uh, over in the States, it's horrendous. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. There's... You know, I think kudos to some of the tours, some of the junior tours, the AGGA, which I have constant run-ins, the American Junior Golf Association. They try their best, but you know, there's a few volunteers and 156 kids out. You can't police every group. You just can't. Um, so the parents are essentially all over. I mean, I've numerous instances of I would call it, call it what it is. It's cheating. You know, uh, you know, parents getting involved, and it's it's not it's really not kind of cool. Uh, but that's just the way it is. I've just it's a that's a culture over here. Uh, I guess it's a culture in every kind of youth sport. I mean, I've coached little league baseball. I've coached soccer, football over here. I mean, I mean the parents are intense. I, again, a part of it is the it's a pay to pay culture over here in the states. I mean, if you're committing to uh, your quotes unquote elite junior golf kids career, that, that can be thirty forty thousand dollars a year. Yeah, and uh, you know, and people get very very tense about it. Presumably, Lawrence, they're more intense because of the university scholarship yes. system over there. Is that why they do yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is really, I mean, I've written a piece for the latest issue of McKellar about this. You know, I spoke to a really good guy uh, who, who runs a junior tour and or used to run a junior tour in Northern California. And he said, people are spending thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a year on their kids' junior golf career. Just pay for the tuition. Yeah. You can go. You can go to Stanford for you, you know. You can go to Stanford. Where you get some academic scholarships, or and you probably end up paying. For, I mean, it's ridiculous. It, you know, Forty, fifty thousand. Well, you know, just pay for the tuition. What are they spending uh, it on? Out of interest, Lawrence. What are they yeah, spending yeah. that thirty or forty grand on? Is it travel and accommodation? Is it club? travel? Uh, I mean, the, I, I mean, I could go on about this for you. know, The main recruiting tour is this American Junior Golf Association, and that is all over their events all over the country, and that is. Basically, parents have been fooled into thinking that the only way your kid is going to get recruited by college coaches is by going to an American Junior Golf Association events and playing really well there. And to a certain extent, that is true. So you have kids that say here in San Francisco will be flying to Arkansas. So it's mum, dad, kid to Arkansas, a week in Arkansas. It's $400 cent of the tournament. You're doing that, you know... Four or five times a year, you're looking. There you go. You're looking at, uh, you know, twelve, fifteen, twenty grand. Once you've thrown everything in, flights, accommodation, entry fees, 
And, and then over here, you're driving up and down. I've done it myself. We for a long time we had a rule where you're not really you're not playing in a tournament that's more than two hours drive from the house. Mm. Uh, but you know, the, the the higher you go up the level of competition, you've kind of got to stretch that out a little bit. Yeah. So it, it, it builds up. It build, and then you throw in equipment. You throw in. Uh, you know, everybody's got a trainer and everybody's got counselor, a counselor, yeah. you know, those like the people who help find them a placement. Uh, well, that, that's, I mean, that, yeah, that, well, that's, and there's a, a quite a very prominent one in Northern California where we're based, I think it's $5,000 a year to be, essentially teach you how to write a letter to a college coach, how to put together a golf CV. So, Rod, it really does, it, it, it bounces up. <laughs> so the, wouldn't that be the well, moment you'd think what the hell am I doing here <laughs> well j- just to I, I mean I, it's not a secret I mean I don't think I'd be, uh, I would love to play college golf you know uh, but we decided you know as a family let's go to the let's go to the UK this year and let's go and play in some fun fun terms but apart from anything else you, you enter the British boys it's 75 pounds I think it's 80 pounds to enter the British boys now got to play Royal Sinkports eight times in six days for 80 pounds <laughs> uh, the economics uh, so entry fees over there are are reasonable and normal uh, over here the AGGA is a is a, a not-for-profit ha 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 uh, junior Golf Association, which pays its CEO $650,000 a year. Uh, the entry fees on, for, are usually between three dollars and $400. And these are on golf courses where you could probably go the day after the AGG has left town and play that golf course for 10 or 15 bucks. Wow. Has it always been this way, Shaq, in America? Uh, in Australia, I listen to this and I think, wow, this is, I mean, we have trouble organising junior golf here in Australia, don't we, Clades? It's only been the last 20 years or so that it's kind of gotten organised. We have events. Has it always been this way in America, Jeff? Uh, no, it's gotten more expensive. But when I was a junior, I mean, the AJGA was a thing, and that was important to coaches and and being seen in those events. But no, it's definitely spiraled uh, to another level with all this other stuff you have to do, and and then uh, the crazy stuff of sending your numbers, and coaches want to look at your numbers, and and, and it's just um, it's it's insane. And it's the, there's only four and a half scholarships at these schools uh, for the men, six for women six for yeah six for women and it's um it's just intense uh i don't quite understand how it's spiraling this way but we have a lot of people with a lot of money and and who want to see their kid uh go to a good school please tell me lawrence that nobody's traveling with a track man on the ajga Oh, uh, well, sure you're kidding are. me on. Of oh, course they are. I've seen kids, uh, the junior tour of Northern California on the putting green with a track man. Uh. Come on. <laughs> borrowing it. He's borrowing By the way, by the way, the, uh, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not an expert in track man. I don't think the earlier versions of track man really were much good for putting. I know the track man four, no, which I, has came out. I think that's, that does putting pretty well. But, uh, I don't think anyway. they have much data though. So it's still kind of behind on the putting part of things the way i understand it but um ultimately uh, ultimately what's, what spits out the other end of this clates uh this system compared to what we were just talking about when you sort of grew up uh, that we've possibly got better players worse humans is it what does it do for the game in the end i mean when you hear all this stuff are you horrified or do you think you wish you'd been born 30 40 years later well it shows the horror of as jackie burke said it years ago about you know, thousands of, there aren't that many jobs, but there are thousands and thousands of kids vying for them. And being a pro golfer, unless you're great, is a miserable existence. You know, it just, I mean, the, the 
biggest change in a, certainly in Australia has been the the destruction of the path of the career amateur player, someone who's a proper player who has a job and he has a family and sleeps in his own bed every night, but plays golf seriously as an amateur in great tournaments, and that's completely gone from golf. Certainly, it has here, because if you don't make it as a pro, you, you just give up and do something else. But you know, there are these kids chasing this. Essentially, it's not an impossible dream, but it's. I mean, how, you know, we all know how many guys make it from how many guys start out, and it's a, it's a, it's not a great path to go it's down. Mathematically daunting, isn't it? If you were well, to think about the numbers, you know, I, I, I know all the kids who I've seen in Australia in the last thirty years, and not all of them, but pretty much all of them, the ones who were going to make it, it was obvious they were going to make it. I played with Adam Scott when he was nineteen. After five holes, I knew he was going to be a superstar. Jason Day, same. Jeff Ogilvy, Suo, Minji Lee. It was obvious who was going to be good and who was not going to be very good. And and a couple of guy like Matt Griffin, who went to university and didn't start playing seriously until he was twenty two or three, played well on the Japanese tour. But there are, you know, for every Jeff Ogilvy, there are twenty kids who don't play golf anymore because it just all got too hard. One um, one dro- the American system uh, is how much talent has been lost. Because essentially it is, there, there is this financial barrier. And if you can't leap that financial barrier at the start, you, you're lost to the game or you're lost, you, your chances are lost. So, uh, you know, you look at the UK and it's, again, my experience of it is pretty limited. But in the two months that I saw, it's, it's pretty well structured. There's a real kind of, A, the, the financial access, the, the barrier. It, there's, there's, there's not. Robert Rock runs, Robert Rock and Stephen Gallagher both run great junior tours uh, in England and Scotland and the entry fees are two pounds. Sometimes they're free. There was a, a junior tournament at Carnoustie last year or the year before and, and the entry was free. Can you imagine? I mean, an open championship venue. Uh, so, so, but then you have in England, you have, uh, you know, county structures. I mean, this week was the English County Championship and you could see all these kids and they're all playing and it's all free and they're all... So there is a kind of filter system. You filter in at the bottom level at uh, these Robert Rock, Stephen Galler, Paul Laurie events. Then you filter into the county system. Then you filter up to the regional system. So there is a way of capturing talent and there's there's no financial barrier apart well of course there is equipment is expensive travel some people don't have parents who can drive around but you know if you can get get over that then you, you you've got a chance of playing pretty good golf and you got the other thing is just access to great golf courses it's it's just it's it's wonderful uh, and and clubs are that was the other thing that struck me rod uh just now played in i think it was half a dozen events uh not to bore you, he played at the Scottish 16s at Dumfriesen County, he played at Merker in the Scottish Amateur, he played at the Caris Trophy at Bristol and Clifton. Now, I'd never heard of Bristol and Clifton, and I'd never heard of Dumfriesen County. Uh, but you go to these clubs, and they are... Nobody's going to call them. They're not running up, they're not holding the, the Open Championship anytime soon, but these golf courses are really characterful, but you get there, they're perfectly presented. The greenskeepers, you can tell, have been working their bollocks off. And the courses are in great condition. And then you get to the members. They just are so proud. And that you get there and the first thing is, well, what do you think of the golf course? And well, I can't believe it. It's brilliant. The greens are magnificent. The greens are like Augusta National. And in many cases, they are. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's great. It's great for the, the golf, uh, what's the word? You know, the arteries of golf. You know, there's blood pumping through the whole system. Uh, and it's cool. It helps the juniors. The clubs take great pride in it. And you go, 
I spent a week at Royal St. Ports. My goodness, what a membership. I mean, it's just a magnificent golf club. Apart from, it's a magnificent golf course, but what a golf club. The members couldn't have been happier to see the kids. Singapore gives up a lot of its time. They have a lot of tournaments there. Mm. Uh, you know, you're giving up that golf course for a week. I mean, that is quite a gift to the to the golf community. So I I, I was immensely grateful to, to these golf clubs and to the members and to the people who organise these tournaments. It was a it was it was a great experience for certainly for our family, and I'm sure most of the other families would say the same. Could they? Play the Open there. I know Jeff's been a big supporter oh. of taking the Open there, but it, it, in terms of well, I is it big around. enough? Yeah. yeah. Well, internally, I, I don't. I don't think so. You, you know, internally, the property doesn't seem big enough. I.e., there's not a, enough space between the fairways. I don't think. Uh, but you could say the same about the old course. I mean, internally, the the, the old course. Yeah. I mean, that's the old course. So as a as a, I mean. The, the exterior, the perimeter of Sinkports, I mean, Jeff, we talked about it, didn't you? The, the seawall would be a pretty good vantage point. Um, and then you have lots of farmland off to the, to, you know, inside the golf course, I guess would do for parking and hospitality. But the golf course itself is... Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that's I not the problem, for sure. It's not no, the, the golf course. Certainly, <laughs> no. I mean, I, I was, I, I, Matt Cooper did a beautiful... I was looking at it this morning, a beautiful little film of St. Ports. I don't know, it's up on YouTube if anyone wants to go and search it out. And some of the holes, 16, the par 5, 16, uh, my goodness. Are they, right. oh, uh, they play that as... Oh, you, they play that as a 5 in the... Boys, oh, they, junior. Yeah, okay. they, oh, yeah, it, was, it was all of a five because it's, it's a four in win. the. Is it? The, oh my goodness! Oh, in the open qualifying, they played as a par four, as I understand. It. Uh, yeah. Six is a is a magnificent hole. Three is a great hole. Uh, it's a really it's a it's a wonderful golf course. And uh, the, and the built obviously they lost those two opens, didn't they? Because of the the course flooding Flat, back yeah. in this, yeah, yeah. But that seawall, a it's it saved the golf course, and b it's a, it would provide a great vantage point. Yeah, that's so, what, yeah, I think so too. Hmm. Uh, the only thing, I, you know, if you take if you have the open at Turnbury, I think that's a low capacity open, isn't it? I, I guess the Royal Portrush has, uh, has has ruined them. They'll be wanting the fifty, sixty thousand a day forevermore now. But I mean, if you, you when you have the open at Turnbury, I think it's twenty five thousand a day, or certainly no, no more than thirty thousand. I'm guessing you could get thirty thousand people in the property hmm. at Royal Singports. I mean, certainly, I, I know the the club is desperate to get a, at least a Walker Cup. Martin Slumbers is a member there, so I'd imagine he'd be able to do something about it. Mm, interesting. What Lawrence is describing, Jeff, is a cultural difference, is it? It's kind of the way the two games have grown in the two two opposite sides of the, the ocean there. Is- uh, somewhat. Yeah, but I think what he described with the, the greenkeeper and, and the membership, that goes on quite a bit here too. There are a lot of great clubs here that enjoy hosting um we have that for sure it's just that we do have an element with the um college system and the ajga and and other and and just kind of the more elitist side of the game and now the equipment free equipment thing which was supposed to help disadvantaged golfers i don't know if it has um where where it just there is a more commercial uh cutthroat side to it but in terms of the actual arteries of the game Th- those things go on here too and uh, we know those clubs that that open their door and we probably don't do enough celebrating of those places that that host and uh take pride in hosting um less less known events but they they enjoy seeing those good players play their course and uh it keeps their course uh kind of on its toes and making sure that they maintain certain standards so it happens here but um 
but and, and I think more it's more a more recent trend that really great courses are opening their doors to whatever a U.S. Open qualifying or a U.S. Junior qualifying. We for a while the the elitist uh, clubs really got. Um, behind their 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 doors and didn't host much and there were some there were some issues going on um with with whether if they were non-profit or not and tax status and that was part of the reason a lot of those clubs did that and so now that people are less fearful of some sort of uh exposing themselves they uh, to some sort of issues by by taking in an event that makes it look like they're open to the public in some way um by by that changing a little bit and people being less fearful of that we've gotten more uh, elite clubs opening their doors to to uh event like southern hills is a great club in in uh tulsa that that's going to host the pga next year but they also have the big 12 in college golf and they have a junior masters event they had this year i mean they have a they host a lot of different events and um and now we're seeing it you know more and more clubs are open to having the women and um and enjoying that experience as much or more <laughs> because the women are just nicer to deal with and they play a game that's a little more relatable to the average male and um they're more grateful to uh to be at those great courses so it's it's, Actually, it's happening uh, riviera had the riviera had the nc2a's in 2011 didn't it jeff yeah yeah they did yeah which was a big deal and obviously the u.s amateur was a big deal for them to host they did that with the u.s open uh dreams in mind but yeah the ncaa was now usc bought you know, four two hundred fifty thousand dollar <laughs> memberships. So Riviera did have ways that they were uh, appreciative or, or reasons to show their appreciation for um, hosting. And USC was the host school. What you, anyway. what all, what all of this is about, of course, Jeff, is ultimately money. We, oh, well, we're uh, going to watch uh, next week, aren't we? Somebody next week is going to walk mm. away with a check or a digital bank, bank deposit for fifteen million dollars. That's six mm. zeros. So, leaving aside everything else about that, not for the first time, more than one player has shown not disdain, but certainly no great excitement necessarily about the prospect of winning $15 million. This is extraordinarily interesting, isn't it? What, what goes on with the FedEx Cup? And, and what was Rory, I think, in 2016, was sort of kind of shrugged off. Someone said, what would you do with the money? Oh, I don't know. It's not going to make much difference to me. I've already got a couple hundred million. Cam Smith said the same thing this week. When asked about what would he do with the fifteen million, buy some more fishing gear. Is there a problem yeah. with too much, perhaps, in golf? Does this ultimately backfire? FedEx Cup, FedEx are paying a real lot of money every year to have the game stars not be impressed by the purse they're putting. It out. has so far. I've been amazed. I thought for sure by now it would have. The FedEx would look at the ratings and the engagement and all that stuff, and and then the uh, the players yawning at the whole thing and and pull the plug. But so far they haven't. Um, I guess just getting those mentions every week helps them get people into their stores and shipping packages but uh i think it's horrible for the sport in that it i mean i'm just amazed they don't even they don't have a little more discipline to say like rory yesterday i'm tired uh i've traveled a lot but you know once once the uh the light goes on i'll i'll be grinding hard and um and not having a charitable component to this uh, has always been a mystery to me that that the players aren't playing for a charity um so that if they're in that top ten of the FedEx, that ten percent automatically goes to their their preferred charity. Uh, it just blows my mind that the tour didn't come up with something like that. To or, or that the guys just don't and they just say, "Look, I don't know what I'm going to do with fifteen million. I'm sure I'll 
I'll call Bill Gates and he'll tell me some places to send it to a good cause and I'll buy myself a new car and uh, take myself out for a nice dinner. I mean, come up with something. My God, don't sound bored by the whole thing or annoyed by it. But they are tired. I mean, it's, they've, they've played a lot of golf this year. There's too much. It certainly is. Clates, if you'd had the chance to play for $15 bucks, would you have been – well, it's a two-edged coin, isn't it, money, Clates? Not having huge amounts of money to play for keeps players hungry, I guess, and that may be more entertaining. But everybody wants it, that to be the goal of that to be to have the purses much and much and much, much bigger. Yeah, well, I wrote that column for Golf Australia last week, which Ben Everill took me to task for because I called it um, not, historic, not historically significant. And he said, well, of course it's correct. So do we think the FedEx Cup is historically significant? Well, could it be is probably more the question, which was Ben Everill's point, and there's no reason why it necessarily couldn't be. The Masters was historically irrelevant in the first year or two as well. That's a bad example. Lots of stuff that's yeah. become historically relevant doesn't start that way. Mm-hmm. Nobody starts ahead of the pack or very We're few. far in now. It's yeah, that's true. What are we, 14 years? Year 15, is it? Yeah, I mean, let's not I mean, start the discussion of how you know, to you know, in, in 50 years, is the, is the XYZ Cup, because no doubt it won't be called FedEx in 50 years, is it, does it have any historical significance? No. 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 Yeah. Actually, Jeff, it's interesting you bring you, you, why is FedEx stick, hanging in there? I mean, it is quite remarkable given that the, the complete lack of enthusiasm shown by the players, I bet it drives more, uh, the, the commissioner crazy. But I just wonder, I mean, you look at Tiger, you, you know, Tiger had all those, you know, Gatorade, Accenture, he had all those sponsorships in the mid-2000s, the mid 2006, 2007, 2008, you know, and, you know, there was a sense, the kind of stories kicking around that, you know, these deals, I mean, Steinberg had completely nailed these these companies to the wall. Um, they were getting Tiger, and they weren't really getting that much in return. And hmm. you know, was it? But if you're if you're tied into a seven year deal with Tiger Woods, there's no escape. But then they 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 took, all took the opportunity to jump ship as soon as they could. I mean, they they got off the, the you know hmm. as soon as scandal hit, they they jumped out. They all they went the the moral behavior clause or whatever it was. So you just you you just kind of wonder. I mean, FedEx had resigned last year, but they have to at some point somebody in. Corporate HQ has to say, "Hang on a second, this is uh, this is not good. We what are we getting in return? And it's vast amounts of money." Yeah, well, and it's going up next year. I think eighteen million. Yeah. For the, the winner. Uh, but so, are you saying? Do you think that? But do you think some of them went to this kind of sponsorship because by being with a player that got in a scandal, they got burned, and this is a little safer? Well, well no, I'm just saying that you know, the level of fatigue might be a little bit higher than than what we can see publicly right now. I, I mean, if we're make, looking at this, looking at the landscape and making these observations, I'm damn sure somebody well, in FedEx market is doing the about same. about Northern Trust? Uh, they just uh, walked away from the New York market and they can't get a sponsor to replace them in New York. That, that to me, is one of the most incredible things. Is that, that a red that flag, Jeff, that isn't having enough attention paid to it? Does that tell you, hey, we've got a big problem brewing here potentially? Yeah, it's just that nobody. Yeah, how, what are you going to do? Get the the Northern Trust CEO is not going to explain to you why they. I mean, he well, he did an interview and said we've gotten out of it what we'd hoped and uh, said all the right things. They're not going to tell you what they they really think. But I think the conclusion is pretty obvious. The economics of sponsorship are are extreme, and when you deliver a one point two rating on Saturday, and the Little League World Series is eating into your your audience, it's um, it's not a good sign, and and it's just the, the major chance. Rolex, you know, I've said the role the majors are where we want to be at, and 
on and on the list. There's just, it just comes down to there's too much of it, and they've worn people out. And by this time of year, at least here, people are ready to move on to something else, and the players seem to be um, that way as well. Some the stars, the stars. Let's be clear, there are people down who are grinding their butt off because this is a chance to make a huge check and move up. And um, but yeah, the stars are worn out, and they've asked them to travel all over the world and in a, in a short amount of time and it's i tell you what i i what, what makes me annoyed by it i mean the business side whatever but but you're gonna have injuries and when you're when you're tired you get into bad habits or you get hurt and that's what where these players have just said yep take the money and go and and nobody's thought long term about that kind of thing and I know they laugh because it's golf, and you know, and, and when we laugh, when Brooks Kepka goes, yeah, everybody's banged up this time of year, <laughs> uh, which like you know, one football practice would make me have to go to the hospital. But but there's wear and tear. There's there's you know, it, there just is, and and walking. In fact, that that was a neat thing. And uh, Patrick Mahomes said that to uh, uh, interview in golf.com. You know. He, could kind of realize that golfers are athletes. The amount of walking really, really got him when he had to do it several days in a row. So, anyway, it, it, there are all these issues. And and I, I texted with just quickly with somebody today who liked my little uh, making fun, having fun with Rory's press conference. But I, I wrote the person back. Uh, you you would know him. And I just said, is there a less introspective sport about its issues than golf? And I I don't think there is one. I mean, even baseball. Uh, it's having all sorts of problems, but at least they're they're trying things and they're you know they're getting slammed for some of them, but they're aware that they have some issues. And golf just tries to pretend like they're not there until it's too late. It seems like to me. Just before we go on, here's what Clates wrote that upset Ben Everall. Adam Scott teed off last week in Greens were on the edge of qualifying for the financially very rewarding but historically quite meaning playoffs for a trophy sponsored. By a parcel distribution company. <laughs> <laughs> it's just all of which is correct. It's factually correct. But you can see why. Well, you would expect somebody at FedEx might bristle reading that, mightn't you, with the amount of money. They, what is the figure for FedEx each year, Jeff? What are they pouring in? Uh, well, I think next year it gets to about 100. I mean, all told. Because uh, we've got it, WDC. It, I mean, when you. Include advertising and all the different things. It's it's over a hundred million dollars now, I believe. Per year. Yeah, I mean okay. the, the, okay. the FedEx is what seventy million alone they give to the players, mm. and then they buy TV spots and they you know there's other things involved. So if it's not at a hundred million now, it will be next year. I had a friend talking about the extreme cost of marketing golf tournaments in New York. A friend of mine worked on the member Bartley's. Uh, Bartley's used to sponsor the event in New York. Uh, she was, uh, well, this person, I better not give it all away. Uh, she was working on the marketing team. But her hand. She, she was telling me the budget was $23 million for one golf tournament. And yeah. essentially, yeah, and they were targeting 2,000 money managers in, in, on Wall Street. That was it. That was all they, they weren't, you're talking about TV figures. They weren't really that much interested in that. They were interested in the 2000 guys on Wall Street who were managing billions and billions of dollars. You know, they were helicoptering them in and they were giving them, you know, all sorts of and stuff. And you have to wonder I, whether I just, any of that's ever returned, whether one of those 2000 came there and signed a deal worth more than 23 million to make it worthwhile. Uh, um, well, you have to think because these guys are, these guys are, you know, they're spending millions. They're moving millions oh, every I day. I think they get their return in weird ways, but the point is that 
that once it's reached that dollar figure, the playoff events and the WGCs, which are essentially dying, they finally have just died before our eyes. There is a number where they say, okay, we can't, we can do 15 million. I mean, this happened with Cadillac and Doral and Trump. Trump got blamed, but it, Cadillac did not want to go from, uh, let's say it was $10 million for the week to 18 at the time to be a WGC. It was like, well, that's a lot of cars to sell to. And so they do like golf and they do their CEO getting somebody coming up to them and going, yeah, I loved your, oh, that tournament was great last week. All that stuff isn't uh, quantifiable necessarily, but it does kind of work in the pro-am. But, but now when it's getting to a certain number, the, it's clear there are people just going, no, we're not, we're not spending that for the rating we get. And now you're trying to push people onto streaming and the numbers are even lower and uh, you've oversaturated it. Uh, you've treated great longtime loyal sponsors like crap. I mean, there's so many issues that just come from oversaturation that they don't address. So it's going to have the market's just going to do it for them, but that's not how you want to do things. The pool keeps getting I, smaller, Jeff. The, the pool of companies who can afford to sponsor a golf correct. tournament will just get yeah. smaller and smaller and smaller the bigger yeah. that number gets. So you're going to a decreasing number of people asking for a bigger slice of ultimately. Has to be uh, has to be something backfire. Who's calling him out on all of this, Donigan? Let's talk about the media. McKellar, yeah, yeah. an interesting uh, idea. Which I won't say I'm surprised. I'm glad. But have you been surprised anyway by its success, McKellar Magazine, I, I, which is a very well, different well, sort of thing. Well, Let's quantify success, okay? <laughs> you know, we, we you said you're a baron, so it must be success. Yeah, yeah that's right. Two no, months well, in the UK, flitting we, around we, playing golf. You're well, doing well, all right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, we are currently putting together issue six, so that is a that's a success. That's a great success. We print five thousand copies. We probably sell maybe three, two and a half, three thousand, maybe three and a half. Uh, we it's it's fourteen dollars a copy. We don't give any any anything away. And I, the thing that I'm most proud of is is that we pay really great. We pay really well. We pay as good as to freelancer. We probably play as good as Golf Digest. Uh, so. That, you know, the only people that don't really make any money are, are, are myself and Thomas Dunn, <laughs> were the two guys who found it. But I, I'm I'm proud of that. You know, I'm proud. I can tell the story that I, you know a very prominent newspaper in the UK called me up not so long ago and said, "Can you write this for us?" I, I said, "Sure." Uh, and the guy said, the editor said, "Well, this is what we'll pay you." And I said, "Oh, whoa, whoa, hang on a second. If I called you up and asked you to write a piece for McKellar, I would pay you more than you want to pay me." Uh, well, you, you, you know, which is, you know, what does that say about the state of, you know, the legacy media? Uh, pretty sad experience. So, uh, needless to say, I didn't write the piece, and he hasn't written a piece for us either. Um, so, so that, in, in that sense, it is, and it's a, it's, a, it's a, it's, I think it's beautiful, Rod. I, I, I mean, I know I'm biased, but I think it's, you know, we publish great stuff, and we publish sometimes we publish rubbish. We've published a couple of bad pieces. I've probably written a couple of them. But you know what? That's all part of the, the fun of the fair. Uh, you know, it's great. You can call up, you know, Mike Clayton or you call call up John Huggin and, you know, my goodness, you know, it's it's great. Hey, Clayton, you know, write this and we'll pay that and, you know, we'll, we'll do it exactly how you want it. We won't be messing about with your stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have sometimes messed about the stuff and got a row for it, put it back, not from Euclid's, but from other writers. So, yeah, it has been, it's been a, I'm kind of surprised we've got this far and we're looking to expand. You know, but we have, you know, we, we reached that 
we've reached that stage. I guess State of the Game, you know, when State of the Game obviously is the original and best podcast, you know, it started years ago. It was years ahead of its time. But, you know, if you had been starting today, Rod, you'd probably be thinking, right, how am I going to expand the brand? You know, how, how can I monetize the brand? So we're getting to that stage now. You, you know, what do we do with the McKellar brand? You, you know, you look at g- g- great quotes and quotes brands that I like in the golf media space. I like no laying up. I like, I like Andy's stuff at Fried Egg. It's great stuff. Andy and Garrett. Um, I, you know, but so they've now moved, they've now, they've moved into other areas, you know, events. Merchandising, you, you know, do is that what we want to do? I, I, I'm not really sure. You know, I would like us to go to a, a four issues a year, but that requires you know manpower. It requires a greater turnover. Um, so it's uh, we, we've I'm not saying we haven't reached a crossroads in the sense you know will we keep go, will we keep going or won't we keep going? We're, we're I mean we're we're selling more than we're, you know we've tripled our circulation in, in five issues. So I mean that's great. Um, so, so what's what quantify what, what quantifies success for us? You know, uh, I would like us, you know, to go at four a year. Uh, maybe start with three a year. I'd like us to get a bit more into reporting. We've done a couple of hard hitting pieces, but I'd like to really, you know, get a bit more bite editorially. But I mean, that's hard to do when you're, you know, when you're, you know, a twice a year publication. So, you know, successful so far. But you know, there are other. You know, lots of space to 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 change and improve and get bigger. Is that hitting what the readers want? Uh, no, as as part of the mix, I think it is. I mean, Anthony Piopi wrote a piece uh, in issue one actually about the uh, there was a yeah the Tillinghast papers, which was a great story. It was a real you know it was a good uh, Anthony Tony's a an old gumshoe reporter. It was a it was a crime I, I story. Like, it was a crime story that just happened uh, to happen in golf. St- That's what it really was. It was a great. Uh, piece. Uh, so you know stuff like that. I, I'd quite you know I'd quite. I mean the piece I wrote in the the latest issue about junior golf I thought was pretty hard hitting. You know deliberately so. Um, you know it got me ostracised even further in the junior golf world, but that's okay. Um, so yeah, a little bit more, you know, in an editorial sense. I, I think as part of the mix, you know, because there isn't much, there isn't Jeff's talking about, you know, you know these press conferences. I mean, you go to one of these PG Tour press conferences now, and it's just it's you know it's a golf channel which is petrified, scared of its own shadow, and it's uh, you know some great reporters there, but you know they're they're scared of the PGA Tour, and then you've got PGAtour.com. dot uh, com. You know who is who? You know, podcasts like this are you know calling you know. Shining, they kind of are trying to kind of dig up the the PGA Tour, but who who's doing it? No, nobody's doing it, mm. and there's no and there's very few. When I was a golf correspondent at the Guardian, there was God maybe five or six full time golf correspondents working in the UK. Now there's there's Jamie and there's there's you. The danger, of course, Jeff, is that we as journos think that what we do is much more important than it actually is. To Lawrence's point about PGAtour.com, which is kind of the behemoth in the professional golf space coverage now, I was staggered at the size of the PGA Tour presence at the 2019 President's Cup. Probably half of that media centre, which wasn't small, was devoted yeah. to PGA Tour staff uh, doing some sort of coverage in the social space or their daily coverage of, you know, for the website, creating videos and all that sort of stuff. It is a magaz- What is the role for magazines and media? You're now doing the, the sub-stack with the majors newsletter, the quadrilateral where does all this end up? This is unrecognisable to me from 25 years ago of how the media worked. You had newspapers and magazines, and they covered stuff, and they had their own vested interests, obviously, with advertising and those sorts of things, but a very different beast to what we see now, where the 
the subject of what you're writing about, the PGA Tour, is the behemoth in the, the media space. Well, it's not just them. The other organizations have taken cues from that and produced more of their own content, um, some of it good, some of it awful, and they're trying to control their message. And, and uh, it's a, it's a, you can understand the approach. The problem is that, uh, and, and I know we've, we're going to repeat ourselves here, but when you go into betting or you want to be seen as legitimate and you're not covered in a serious way, I mean, I get the question all the time, why hasn't somebody done a – a deep dive on this or that. So, well, they've gutted uh, all these media organizations, and the ones that that are left are relying. Their last advertisers are these organizations, so they're and they're competing with those organizations for for hits. So these things aren't going to happen any longer. So I think it's just going to get uglier and uglier for another year or two, um, and we'll see the end probably of print for or down to a few issues of. Golf Digest and Golf Magazine, and that won't really be a. It'll be a sad loss if they let let people go. But in terms of things that you value and read, there, I think that ship has sailed for most people. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it's it's a strange thing that these organizations try so hard to control everything and dictate the message, and it doesn't really work. And and the people who are resonating are the ones who are uh, not. Uh, just just repeating things and uh, lobbing softballs and writing cheerleading pieces or trying to rationalize Rory's tough day with Matt Wolf's tough, unable to get out of bed. And I mean, these things that people come up with, you just um, in in this desperation to appease these, this, uh, and I don't even know if there are people really above watching that closely, wanting this message to be, so seamless, but there's a fear factor now of you're losing your job. So people just write the safe thing and fluff and put it out there. And I don't blame them uh, for doing that because it may be the thing that, that keeps their job. It just makes their job not very interesting. And, and if they're not doing anything interesting, then the readers know that and people just stop reading about it eventually. So, um, yeah, but in our, in our country right now, that a lot of the people who love golf um, think the media is the enemy of the people, and uh, so they're fine with it. They they want fluff and uh, puff pieces, and um, but there thankfully are enough people who want to pay for something like my newsletter or McKellar, and and, uh, and that's what I think you have to focus on is that smaller niche. I hate the word niche, but it is true. It's a niche audience, but that's okay. I wonder if it's counterproductive for, from, from the PGA Tour. They would never, obviously, they would laugh at this, but the PGA Tour's perspective, you, you know, if you tightly control the message to the extent that they do, the sports becomes dull. Of course. I mean, I know we all, oh, yeah. I, I know we all kind of, I, I don't particularly like the Brooks Bryson thing. I bet the PGA Tour hates that stuff, you know, because it's again, it's counterintuitive to, to theirs, their, their sense of what the brand is. But, you know, it, it does pull in a, yeah, you know, a, a non-golf audience, uh, you know, and it's it's completely out of their control. Out with their, they can do nothing about it, uh, and you know, it's probably doing them. It's probably getting them some extra viewers, you know, extra eyeballs. Yeah, and yet they've so, never paired them together. <laughs> yeah, amazing how they just keep never getting paired together. I never. Uh, the non-golf audience that you're grabbing, Lawrence, isn't interested in the golf. They're interested in the soap opera of two multi-millionaire. Yeah. They're not going to suddenly take up golf and go go play it. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, but again, is the PG Tour interested in getting people taking up golf? Probably not. Uh, but, you know, if I'm a branding manager, or if I'm a, you know, a corporate development manager at the PG Tour, I, I might say, well, you know, I just want these eyeballs because I can then sell these eyeballs to Mr. Bartley's, try and make them come back. I, I, again, let's not, uh, you, you know, make any judgments about the type of people. I mean, if I'm Mr. PG Tour, I'm not making any judgments about the type of people who are watching. I just want people watching. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying that's a good thing, but I, I just, I, I just wonder that this blandness, it, 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 I, I, in the long run, I guess, Jay Monaghan's going to be there for 10 years maximum. He probably doesn't care about, you know, what the PG Tour is going to look like in 30, 40 years' time. Uh, but, but I would, you know, if I was his special advisor, which I'm sure I will be after this, I would, uh, you know, I would be, you know, hey, just let, let it, just loosen up a little bit. Let's just yeah. see what happens. You know, no, stuff might don't. happen. Yeah, they can't. It's just not in their DNA. They fight it, uh, and, it and, and, and it just makes golf uh, boring. It's funny you mentioned that, though, Lawrence. Um, Mike Wan just did a podcast with with um, uh, Chris Solomon of No Laying Up. It's a very good discussion, and one of the things that's really interesting is he he is taking the the the, the point of view that we are the group that's thinking thirty to fifty years ahead. And you may not like it, you may not. It's not your job, but that's our job, and we're going to do that. And and uh, it was really an interesting approach he's taking, and refreshing to hear because you're you're right. You don't sense any of these people are thinking more than the next deal. You know, just the, let's make the next deal, and and there's nobody thinking more than about twenty minutes ahead in golf. But, but, but look at the European tour. The European tour's press operation is not big. You know, it's maybe I don't know four or five, six people. I don't know. So they've essentially they have seeded the space, the daily space. You know, it's a free for all. People can write what they want. We're not going to try and control that. And what they've decided, they've said, okay, what can we do to to develop our brand? They've they've done the social media stuff. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's phenomenal. It's absolutely. Let's be honest, though. Let's be, come on. They're great, but their players are different. Are they? Uh, Their players are different. How many American players can do some of the things that they they do in those videos? Well, (laughs) not many. Well, well. Well, the Corn at the Scottish Open, they did a great one with the fake pundit with Colin Morikawa. Yeah, yeah, but he was he was he was duped. I mean, he went along well with it. He he was a good yeah. sport, but he was doing. Well, I, I'm talking about like the acting and Tommy Fleetwood and Matt Wallace and and uh, Eddie Pepperell. They, they're not many guys on the U.S. tour that could do that, or or would or would take the time. Well, the other thing is again that European tour approach. It's just kind of contemporary, isn't it? It's modern. Yeah, without it's trying too hard. Thinking. Yeah. Uh, and this this PG tour obsession with controlling the, the message it's just so old fashioned. It's well, it's, it's not like, working for them. I mean, there's nobody watching these I, playoff I, events. So, hey, Clyde, <laughs> what do you think about all of this? You're a player. Did you get media management training when you oh, were in the oh, European oh, tour in the eighties and nineties? Well, no, and it's you know it's a stretch to ask twenty four year olds to perhaps be interesting. I mean, I wasn't. I'm sure I wasn't. None of us were particularly interesting when we were twenty four and. Had no idea how to manage the media and give them an interesting story, and you know, I'm not sure we had even had enough perspective on the game to know much about it. But um, yeah, yeah. I mean, and Greg was great. One thing Greg Norman was great at in Australia, he under- and, and Gary Player too. They understood how to give the press guys what they wanted, which was a great headline, and they would say ridiculous stuff. I mean, you know, Gary Player came down here in 1970 and. 
shot 70 at Kingston Heath in the first round of the Australian Open and said, I've got no chance to win this tournament. Only Ben Hogan can help me. And he went out the next day and shot 65. And, of course, Peter Thompson came out the next day in the press and accused him of laughable emotionalism. So it was, it was brilliant stuff. It was brilliant. And, you know, and Thompson, you know, Thompson wrote an article about the first Australian Open held at the new Australian course that Jack Nickerson redesigned. And the headline was, Packer Money Wasted. So Kerry Packer was the wealthiest guy in Australia, paid to completely rebuild the golf course, an old Mackenzie course in, well, a Mackenzie influence course in Sydney. And Thompson just tore into it. Was that the wings yeah, on a Cadillac story? Is that the one we're Yeah, you know, the ponds like, ponds like wings on a Cadillac. And you know, it was just, it was a story that you could never print now. But you know, it was well, the, you know, the, the editor of the, the Age and the Sydney Morning Herald, the Melbourne and Sydney stable papers, you know, pack of money wasted. And it, was just, and it was a brilliant, eviscerating column on what had happened to the golf course. But, but to, to your point, one of the things now you've made me realize, and, and I, I have a few of these people I know subscribe to my newsletter, but a lot, of, uh, a lot of people live in fear in the world of golf of these super elite CEOs and Augusta National members and that group. Uh, and even though those people are the ones who are reading and, and kind of curious and take in press coverage, a lot of people are scared to death of them and, and keeping them happy. And then now a lot of them have ways of controlling press. They either advertise or they, uh, they own. And there are very few of them that are fine with a free press. Most of them are wanting to see some control. And, um, but the smart ones know that a little bit of controversy and a little bit of drama is good for the game. It's interesting. And, and, and again, back to this point of, of this discussion, golf is not even introspective about things that uh, other sports just debate on a daily basis. I mean, how is it that we, have, we are having no discussion about green reading books, distance, all these things that baseball is just going, it's almost a daily thing with here, um, trying to make the sport better and send out the message that we're trying and we're, we're, we're considering other ways. And golf just, just fights it. Um, and part of it's just people don't want to write about it because they get in trouble. And part of it's, I don't, uh, the sport's just not very introspective. Uh, or like it used to be. A couple of years ago, Clates, Patrick Smith wrote something at the Australian. You know, Patrick Smith's a pretty cutting columnist down here in Australia. Yeah, he comes out in the writer, golf yeah. edge here. Terrific writer, great football writer most of the year. Does some fantastic stuff. And he'd written something that offence was taken. I think he'd written about who wasn't at the tournament. It was the year that Leishman and Scott didn't play, perhaps, or something like that. And he'd written something, and they were all up in arms, all the people from Golf Australia and the PGA and, you know, all these negative Nellies and writing all this stuff. And I remember writing a piece that, that day saying... If this was rugby league, if this was football, yeah, Smith's column would have been one of the puff pieces. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. This game is treated with kid gloves. You've got no, yeah, Jay yeah. Monaghan has never faced the kind of grilling and and you know real knifey stuff that people who run the Premier League and NRL here and AFL golf gets none of that. And any suggestion that somebody said something that's not wonderful about the thing, and they're all up in arms about, oh, look at all this negative press we're getting. It's like, it's quite bizarre well, to me. Well, 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 which was, you know, typified by Ben Everill's reaction to that one pretty harmless sentence, which is one probably true. And I'm, I'm not, in fairness, I think he was more upset that where it had been written, it was on Golf Australia's website, Golf Australia resident, the RNA, USGA, Golf Australia. But 
um, where else do you write it now? Nowhere else to write yeah. it. So, yeah. And, you know, it was good for Golf Australia for not caring if they upset the PGA Tour or FedEx. They don't care. Kudos to Golf Australia, who do publish a bunch of stuff that lots of governing bodies would never touch. Yeah, yeah. With a, well, that's true, yeah. With a barge yeah. pile. They've made some mistakes, but good on them for for, uh, for being that way. Ultimately, Lawrence, uh, I think you're right. Isn't it counterproductive? Why can't the PGA Tour see what Jeff just said? A little bit of contrary and some independent coverage of the game only yeah. drives interest. I mean, can you imagine Premier League if all you had coverage of the Premier League was what came out of Premier League HQ? Nobody would bother watching the game, would yeah. they? No, absolutely. And I, I tell you, actually, I, I, if the PGA Tour is looking for an example of how to, you know, maybe improve its image and improve its, look at the RNA. You know, here's, you know, they're pretty, their press operations are pretty loose. You know, I don't think this is heavily manned or, or, you know, got many, that, that many people. What they, what they've done, they've transformed their image, transformed their coverage simply by doing good stuff. Mm. Just by, Just do by doing progressive stuff. Curtis Cup on uh, YouTube this week. Sit here in Australia and watch the well, Curtis Cup on YouTube for free. Yeah. Outstanding. Yeah. Uh, and the whole, uh, you, you had a, <laughs> I sent Martin, Co- uh, Martin Slumbers a free copy of McKellar and I, I wrote him a letter saying on a personal note, you know, thanks for your leadership, the RNA. I f- now find myself in the unhappy position of having nothing critical <laughs> to say about the RNA. <laughs> but the, uh, but they ha- you know, even the whole women's thing. I mean, he just he took he took Muirfield out to the woodshed. You know, ch- you know, just said, okay, this is how it is. Changed the whole women membership thing at the RNA itself. Completely changed. It wasn't that hard. I remember going to press conferences for a year, and Peter Dawson just sneering at me because I would have a go every single year. Oh, Mister Donigan, here we go again. You know, this kind of nonsense. <laughs> um, so, but the RNA have you know they've done it in a different way from the European tour. They've actually just done good stuff. Exactly. They're, the just, they're just doing it. Either. They're not trying to make controversy. They're just doing stuff. Slumbers is an they're, interesting character, I think. So, so what they are, what Slumbers has done, he has changed the story. He's just changed the story. The story used to be fuddy duddies, old guys in blazers, soup down the ties. Now the story is. I mean, look at the Curtis Cup this week. It's just phenomenal. I sat, I sat for hours this morning watching it on YouTube. It's just great. I mean, that's cost the RNA and I guess the USGA an absolute fortune, a fortune. Mm. So yeah, so that's a you know there's another idea for the uh, PGA Tour a media mixer. Clay, it strikes me that in all these discussions we're having, the one thing that doesn't really get much of a mention is golf itself. Yeah, <laughs> golf is a business, isn't it? It's it's just the product. And as a pro, I imagine this happens. Golf on the course becomes the sanctuary from all the other stuff that is the business of being a professional golfer. So I finally yeah. get to leave all yeah. that behind and actually go and play golf. Yeah. It's kind of a bit dangerous, isn't it? Because it's the golf that people come for. Um, and it would pay the business of golf to remember that a little bit more sometimes, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. And how relevant is professional golf to amateur golf, club golf? I mean, if, you know, if pro golf went away tomorrow, would the game be fine? It'd be fine, wouldn't it? Oh, look, I, I, I wouldn't overplay how unimportant it is. I don't think that's quite true. It's got absolutely a role to play, and as always has done. I mean, why did, you know, part of the reason, once you've started the game, that's the reason a lot of people have gone with it is that professional golf inspires them to do so. But it's nowhere near as important as professional golf thinks it is, that's for sure. Yeah. I, I really think all of this comes down to the fact that the ball goes too far. I was going to say, uh, all then, those waiting at home for a drink, yeah, Jeff, at banking. I wanted you. to do that. And then also just the humility <laughs> factor is gone for a lot of these people. And if they if they knew a snap hook and they knew a cut, you know, the looking down at a cut balada, they, they, they wouldn't be so damn arrogant, some of these players. Um, but no, on a serious topic, uh, like watching the women's open last week, the other problem we now have is 
is not just the, this sort of um, – and and nobody wants to be just grilling these players and tearing them down. It, 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 not, that's not going to happen. But we've now shifted to not just having to celebrate them, but there's now a constant, and you really saw this, and uh, you see it in the LPGA coverage, you see it in the tour coverage, how hard the game is, how hard this life is. Um, and we just don't understand how hard it is. We know golfers know the game is hard, and the more you keep telling them, uh, the audience that it's not, it does not turn people on. It does not pe- make people go, "Yes, I'm going to watch," because uh, the the plight of these people um, going to the country club and 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 having a courtesy car and and yes, we we know as golfers how cruel the game can be, even with today's equipment, and all that stuff. But stop this whiny. Um, nonsense about about this horrible life that these people have, and and we're just so blessed to see them make that birdie. It's it's painful. Yeah, exactly. There's so many jobs, right? I, you know, I, and I'm not gonna go, but but you know, uh, just just nurses alone. And right now, in a time of what's going on, and listening to these people go on and on about how hard the job is, and knowing what people are going through on a daily basis, trying to save lives. And uh, and just I mean pick multiple professions, but it's just like give me a break, and it's not gonna make people f- like the sport better. It's gonna make them dislike it. They may not know why, but they may turn it on and hear some of that, and like oh gosh, give it a rest. Are we going to mention the unmentionable Nana Madsen on the eighteenth? Canusti <laughs> and what happened? Well, I mean that was a that was you know the culmination of the broadcast. Poor Karen Stupples just could not express much. Uh, at at the moment because the mindset on their broadcasts is is um is is just not they're they're too connected to or they're thinking they're connected to the players. You just couldn't just say, "Oh my gosh, I cannot believe what we're seeing." Now, of course, her boyfriend, Jerry uh Foltz set it up by saying, "Well, he she she drew a break here uh with this downhill lie uh because she's got a lot of green to work with." And of course, Nobody in the history of the game has ever wanted a downhill lie in a bunker. With and on, and the minute he said it, I went, is he out of his effing mind? There's OB completely behind the pin. I mean, it's just skull central. And he comes out with that, and then he kind of walked it back later. And I'm like, yeah, that's what you want on the 72nd hole of a major in front of a million people watch or millions of people watching with OB behind the green is a downhill lie in a pop bunker. Well, it's not a pop bunker. That one's kind of a weird bunker. But anyway... It, the the, the 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 reflex is to find the ways to tell you why these people are just super special why what they're overcoming right now is is different than anybody in any generation before and i i just know that doesn't work uh on an audience it just it just doesn't and every single golfer clates and you be one of them knows exactly how she felt at that moment, and then the moment when she stood over the next one, oh, still oh, on the still yeah. on the seventy second hole at the Women's Open, and she has to try and pitch it onto the green. That's, that's, yeah. It's just horrific, isn't it? I imagine you've hit an unmentionable at some point, Shank, in a to- in a tournament, Clates. Couple, yeah, uh, and it, it was nowhere near as bad as the screw up that Bernard Langer made at Royal Birkdale, trying to win the Senior Open. He Langer had a Five to win at Birkdale a few years ago. Hit it in the bunker. The easiest bunker shot in Britain. A little f- splash bunker right at the end of the green at Birkdale. For greatest short game players ever. Left it in the bunker and made six and lost the playoff. That was way worse than what she did. 
Yeah, and by the way, what she did is very doable off that downhill yeah. eye and trying yeah. to hit a long bunker shot. I mean, and, and that's yeah. where an analyst, you know, they could have explained that. They were just in shock from the whole thing. It was it was yeah. kind of the culmination of a, uh, a shame. It was a shame because it was a really good tournament. It had no energy on the TV, uh, on the broadcast here. I mean, it was just flat as a pancake, and yeah. it shouldn't have been. I mean, Louise Duncan, and that has got a phenomenal golf swing. By the way, how do we, you know, like we didn't have a great breakdown of her swing that I saw. Uh, stuff like that. It's just, it's just, it, it's not a good, good direction. We had, we had Laura, there. we had Laura Davies and Trish Johnson, so we were okay. Lawrence, what was your take? Mm. Women's mm. Open, we'll wrap it up now. Oh, I thought at least, I, I, I say I'm on uh, our trip. I was talking about enthusiasm, how tough these guys have. I just went, uh, now I played sixty rounds of golf in fifty-seven days when, <laughs> over there, and when we got home, the he got off the plane and wanted to go to the golf course. Oh. Like so, you know, <laughs> what happened? You know, what happened to these guys? Because they were like that at one point, mm. weren't they? They were all like oh, that. You were like that, weren't you, clients? What was your general schedule? How many weeks in a row were you playing? I played in nineteen eighty-four. I played twenty-three out of twenty-four weeks in seventeen countries, which wasn't very smart, but. That was what you did. You did. You you just played. I (laughs) mean, what what were you going to do? Like, you're on the road. You're just going to sit in a hotel and not play. So you played. And and in fact, plus you love it. And and we, Jamie Crow and I, Lawrence, flew from Tokyo to San Diego. And on Monday morning in San Diego, we're at the golf course playing golf. At the end, yeah. At that was the 25th week. So and we had two weeks off and went to Europe and played all through Europe basically that's what you did um, just getting back to the women's open during our trip we spent an afternoon at the uh, at the Scottish Open uh, you know, oh yeah uh, you went to the uh, that's right the, yeah the race and it was just a, a, a kind of it was a pretty rotten experience really you, you know you're roped off miles it's not a very good viewing course but you're roped off miles from the golf course um, uh, but then you, you look at something like the Curtis Cup this week uh, you look, the women's open looked. They just look. We went to the U.S. Women's Open at, at, at the late course at, at, at Olympic Club, mm. and again, it was a really a kind of intimate experience. It was so good. We went back the next day. We got, you know, we just oh god, this is brilliant. We're really close, and uh, you know, and it looked like that certainly on TV. It's hard to tell on TV, but it did look like a really much more intimate experience. I, I thought it was. I find myself watching much more women's golf these days. Similarly, because, I, I mean, for the usual reason, you know, it's relatable. It, it, you know, it's just a bit more intimate. I, I like the, the personalities better. I just think they're, oh, they they're more, yeah, uh, yeah they they're more, more what's the word, um, uh, embraceable. I mean, that's probably not a word, but you know what I mean? You, you, you can, you can li- likeable. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was, uh, I said, I don't make the bunk. It was the, I think it was the six irons you had from the 18th, middle of the 18th fairway. Uh, was a, that was a, yeah, yeah oh, that was, that was a, but um, but then again, sorry, I know you asked me about the women. But again, look at—I I really urge people to go on YouTube and watch the the Curtis Cup because Clates, uh, you wrote that great piece in issue one of McKellar about watching golf down the line, uh, and you can—that's all. But the beauty of the you, you look at it, there's just people, you know, ten yards behind the players that are hitting shots. Mm. I mean, some of these players are, you know, Hannah Darling. This this girl, Hannah Darling, the Scottish girl, is going to be an absolute superstar. Probably say the same about Rachel Heck. Uh, uh, Zhang, the, the the girl from Rose Zhang, who won the USM last year. Uh, there's some brilliant players, and you're you're ten feet away watching them, and it's it's just awesome. And then you you know, and then you look at PGA Tour, and it's like you know, uh, 
sorry, go, go on. No, no, no. Well, yeah, no, it's, 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 there's something wrong there. And the same thing happened to a lot of people here in LA when the US Amateur was here. Uh, since then, they just can't go to a tour event because it was just such a different viewing experience and, and seeing the players and getting to hear them and all that just changed. But it's what makes the Vic Open work, doesn't it, Clades? The men and women together thing was uh, innovative and there's something about that that's fabulous. But what makes the Vic Open the best tournament in Australia, not the most important, but no, the no. best to go to is you walk the fairways. You walk, no, you walk on the fairways. And it's, and it's the way golf was here until Bruce Crampton came back in 1975 after years of being away and not playing here and complained about people walking on the fairways. So all of a sudden we had ropes down the sides, and, which was inevitable. It was going to happen. But watching golf here... You know, that, that 1970 Australian Open at Kingston Heath, I watched Gary play, play the whole of the third round, walking on the fairway. It was amazing. Makes so much more sense, too. It's by far the most memorable golf I can remember watching of all the golf tournaments I've covered here in Australia or, always comes back to the Vic Open because you just don't get the opportunity to be behind the players at important moments the way you can there. It's the only tournament that I've ever been able to do it at, So, apart from amateur golf, of course, which is... Uh, yeah. well, well, the Walker Cup's another... Well, Jeff, you were at it, the, the 2017 Walker Cup. I mean, you look at that American team, I don't know, six PGA Tour winners already on yeah. the US team. We were we were walking the fairways right behind them. It was yeah. so cool. <laughs> so cool. And half of them will chat to uh, you. Half of them will welcome it. They think it's fabulous. They'll, oh, they'll have a chat to you, well, talk to you about it. Well, golf. we... I think uh, Connor Syme, the Scottish kid, was out playing. We went out because we were supporting the Scottish guy, and he was playing Hagenstar, I think, in the singles. I, I we, we walked three fairies with him, chatting to him. That was awesome. Yeah, I've been <laughs> hearing some interesting stories about that at tour events lately. Uh, random little anecdotes where people will say, you know, not heckle a player, but just say play well, going from green to tee or something. They have marshals come over and tell them, please don't. <laughs> Don't speak to the players. And this is this happened multiple times this year. Now, I'm sure they're getting some instructions like, hey, don't let these – because there are a lot of jerks going to tournaments these days. Mm. But the people that I've heard from are incredulous. Like, I just was saying, hey, play well, hang in there, and they're, and they're scolding me. So, like, the, 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 the direction they're headed is, is really frightening in every direction. I, I want to ask a quick question to Lawrence uh, about McKellar. Back to the topic uh, we were. Uh, well, one, I know you have a yeah. special code for our listeners yeah. to get a discount. Uh, but oh, I do oh, yeah. want. Uh, I was curious, what kind of feedback are you getting on what you're doing, and and have you had suggestions from people wanting more of something, or what, what has just been the reaction you've gotten? Because I know you have an interesting readership and. A smart readership, and um, do they mention you know this is a great replacement for what used to be my great my fun reading in Golf Digest, or what do they say? If you get well, I don't think it's a well. Yeah, we do. I, what we mostly get is can we not have more Mike Clayton in the magazine? <laughs> Clayton, I'm not I'm not BSing people. Clayton, again, that thing Clayton wrote there, it was the complete the Mike Clayton anthology. You know how they used to do these uh, Tamla Motown anthologies, the Smokey Robinson anthology. So the last issue we had the Mike Clayton anthology on golf course architecture. The feedback for those who was, don't know, Clayton's uh, also the postmaster uh, for McKellar here in Australia. So do you do you <laughs> autograph right, the copies right. when you send them out, Clayton? Is that what happens before you go and take them down to the post office? <laughs> Well, you have to autograph the outside of the envelope. Yeah, then he writes, no, I know where you, know where you yeah. live. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? People kind of like that, you know. Uh, but, but again, I mentioned it earlier on. I, I, a couple of people have said, you know, maybe a little bit too celebratory, but that was the kind of, it was never meant to, you know, 
it was never meant to to be a vehicle for it. It was meant to be celebrated in the in the the, the, the biggest sense. But I mean, I guess you know maybe a little bit more newsy, which is difficult. You know, we have had some uh, you know ideas for long form. I'd love to do. Remember that Golf News Network? Remember that that short lived? Like, you know, whatever happened there, because that was millions of dollars invested in it. That would be a really interesting piece for McKellar, but that would require a huge investment of, we don't have the, you know, we pay well, but we don't have the time and money to invest in a, in a big investigative feature like that. Well, stuff like that, I would, uh, you know, people have said, uh, there's a bit of that, but, but generally, you know, people have been very positive. They like the size because it's very manageable. Uh, you know, you can just slip it in your briefcase or whatever. It's not like Digest or Golfer's Journal, both of which are great. Um, but yeah, people are, are just, uh, no, just people really, really like it. Keep up the good work. Uh, you know, more Mike Clayton, please. Uh, why can't I, I live in America? Why can't Mike Clayton sign my envelope? You know, well, for, for a <laughs> price, for a fee, anything's possible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, listen, you just mentioned there, Jeff. I feel like I'm dominating this, but uh, I did do it this morning. I spoke to a tech guy, so if, and it's only for people who have listened this far uh, to uh, to the podcast. If you type in uh, "stog 2021" at state of the game, not don't spell it out. "Stog 2021," you'll get 25 percent off anything on the McKellar website. We've never done that, but I, I feel like, uh, you know, state, as I said, uh, I keep blowing smoke up your backside, Rod, but this is the first in the original golf podcast and I, and it's always been my favorite. So, uh, I thought we'd, uh, I thought we'd do that and just throw that out there. So it's, it's a great issue and it's one people should buy and, and use as their Christmas gift and different things like that. So that discount's really nice. S T O G or S O T G? Uh oh. Oh, sorry. Oh, Oh, no. I hope you're not doing oh, the subbing, mate. That's appalling. No, no. I say I am this issue. Tom's busy with a book. Oh, it's, a, it's going to be a disaster. It's been no, fabulous no. to have you along, Lawrence, and I do applaud McKellar. It's about what success looks like for you for a project like that. I think it's been an enormous success, and it's added something to the golf space, and so much of the coverage that we're all guilty of giving adds not much to the space, and McKellar does. So congratulations on that, mate, and keep doing it. I think it's fantastic what you're doing. Thanks a lot, mate. And thank you for uh, your time today. Shaq, similar for your quadrilateral. It's adding something to the golf space Thanks. that makes you think, and congratulations for that. And always, as always, thank, thank you. you for your time today. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, and Clades, thank you for everything that you do for the game, and this has really turned into a love fest, hasn't it? And for autographing the McKellar magazines before you send them out. <laughs> Great to have you all today, too. Right. Um, thank you, Rod. And, um... Huggy spoke to quickly um, Bob Stanton on the phone, Lawrence. And before this mess, the plan was to fly up and interview Bob Stanton. For, for Jeff, if you haven't heard of Bob Stanton, um, at, at, at 19, he beat Arnold Palmer in a playoff for the Dunlop International in Australia, which was the second big. In fact, it was the biggest prize money tournament in Australia. He was a phenomenal player. Went to the US Tour. He was top 60 in 1970 as a 23-year-old. Uh, kind of faded out of the game, came back to Australia in 1984 and Tom Watson beat him by a shot in the Australian Open. And he lives up on the top of Australia, goes fishing. Fa fascinating guy, would be a great story. So Lawrence, yeah. we'll get to that. But 
Well, we definitely yeah. will. Actually, Huggy's done some beauties. Absolutely. Yeah. He did one in the latest issue on the Ryder, Forgotten Rider Cup, guys. It's just yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. But Some incredible yeah. but stories. Bob Stanton was Greg Norman before Greg Norman, really. He, he was amazing. Our most amazing naturally player. gifted, do you think, Clates? Yeah. Just would not yeah, play yeah, for yeah. a year he, and then go out and yeah. shoot 65. Not in a tournament, necessarily. But yeah. go to, I think he shot at New South Wales, he shot 63 at the age of 60, and he hadn't played golf for a year. He got invited out there, and he just picked up the clubs, went out there and shot shot nine nine under at the age of 60. Just extraordinary stuff. I mean, that that Australian Open in 84, he hadn't hadn't played a tournament in at least six or seven years. And he came out, he played two or three warm-up events where he missed the cut, and then went out and shot 67 the last day at Royal Melbourne and Watson beat him. You know, anything about Bob Stanton, all you can think of yourself is what if, what might have been, what could have been. Just an extraordinary, and a lovely bloke, runs fishing charters up there, I think he does now. He's got into event management with... uh, the golf show one. Well, I thought we'd said our goodbyes. Now we'll call that a goodbye. Uh, we'll call it. Thank you for joining us, Lawrence. That's been fantastic. Go to the McKellar Magazine website. I think it's McKellarMagazine.com. Yeah, that's it. McKellar Magazine. Put in S O T G or S T O G. Put something with an S, a T, and a G in it. No, no. And you'll get yourself a you'll get yourself a discount. Twenty five percent off anything on the website. That's episode one hundred and fourteen. Done and dusted. We'll be back next time. Not sure when that'll be, but it'll be good fun when we do. Here on State of the Game. State of the Game is a talk and golf production. Theme music, Writer's Retreat, provided by Lloyd Cole. Visit www.lloydcole.com for more information. For more golf podcasts, log on to www.talkandgolf.com.